Not necessarily. Oh no! Don't don't logic it out for me, man. I don't need to hear logic. Down. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. You don't want to see a full INTJ no. on it. Let's I go just, INTJ on this. I just can't hear this logic down. <laughs> Not after what I've been with through with these people. Uh-huh. At one point, one IT dude called me people. dude. He called me dude, and I was like, oh, I'm so glad we're in this casual oh, no. feeling. I'm so glad that we're all just like vibing here. You're listening to Stop Yelling, Start Thinking. This podcast is not here to tell you what you have to think, but to encourage you to think for yourself. Just like you, what we want is a healthier country. Healthier politics. Healthier dialogue. And healthier lives. So join us as we think together. everyone and welcome to the new episode of the Stop Yelling Start Thinking podcast. I apologize if it's been a little while, but if you haven't known there's this little thing happening in the Amer- in America right now called the presidential election. Now typically we would know who had won the presidential election, but at the time of recording on November 6th we do not. I'm joined by my co-hosts Alexander Sizemore and Isaiah Smith and we're going to be discussing the outcome or the lack of outcome of the US presidential election. We're going to be giving our thoughts about it about why Trump is in the position, why Republicans made gains in the Senate and the House, but maybe did not capture the presidency. So thank you all for tuning in and let's dive into it. It has it has been an interesting few days, I must say. I've been sitting with bated breath watching this whole thing play out. It's been an emotional roller coaster, to be completely <laughs> honest. It has been all over the show, um, from Trump was doing well, and you see that, to apparently hundreds of thousands of uh, of uh, of votes being dropped off at counting places um, in vans and being filmed, and then in all the of a sudden of Biden night. going in the middle of the night and votes. Being stopped in a place and pencil. Oh my! What is even going on in Pennsylvania? It's always at three a.m. If you notice that, it's always yeah, like yeah, yeah, you yeah. find one hundred twenty-six thousand ballots at three a.m. and they're all for Biden. All of yeah. them, Isaiah. All of them. All of them. I reckon like the the Democrat governor in Jolly, Pennsylvania. He was at his house and he was looking under all the cushions and he suddenly found another hundred and twenty thousand Biden votes there. He um, did. Magically. What do you think, um, Alexander? How, how have you been dealing with election night stress? It's not even election night, it's election <laughs> week stress. <laughs> Sorry, carry on, Alexander. To be honest, this has probably been the least stressed that I've been in a presidential election since Obama, I think. The last time that I... So four years ago, 2016 election night, um, I was out in Colorado at school at the time. And that whole night, you know, all of us are sitting around the TV watching the, you know, watching the counts roll in and we were doing schoolwork predominantly, but I remember there's kind of this tense air, but this time around, I was busy on election night working on assignments. I didn't, I didn't pay much, a whole lot of attention. Um, I had school, you know, voting day and I don't know, I'm not apathetic to the outcome of this election, but I guess I had limited expectations I, the areas, and to clarify the reasoning, it's because I think the biggest advances that we're going to see in, like, not like specifically conservative politics, aren't going to be from the president. They're going to be from the Supreme Court or the Senate. So, I was, I knew that even if we got a more liberal Democratic president, or even if we kept with Trump, that it probably wasn't going to be the biggest developments of the next four mm-hmm. years. So. Yeah, that makes sense. 
I, mean, I, I do I, hear I that because I've been I've been thinking that sort of same thing as well after seeing it kind of s- start swinging in Biden's favor and that like okay like you know we can we can survive this um, what it's gonna the hardest thing is also with COVID as well and like what sort of um, what sort of uh, Example, it's going to set for the rest of the world and how everything's going to go because I just feel that if Biden becomes president, like the world's just going to stay locked down for the next two years, um, which is going to have a massive effect on a lot of stuff. And also the tie-up with China and where that's going to leave um, uh, world uh, trade, mm-hmm. um, uh, world power and stuff like that um, over, the next, um, over the next four years is going to be could be quite devastating like it could be fine but it also could be really really bad because biden is very tied up with china and he's on tape going over and over again china's not an issue china's great china's amazing like they're they're not an issue or anything whereas trump's played real hardball and when we look at where this virus has come from and the effect that it's had like the reason that we've got the government that we've got right now in new zealand i've just had to go through this in new zealand we've got the most liberal government we've (laughs) been having a rough time oh my it is it is and then watching america i'm just like uh, can somebody stop the world? I want to get off. Um, just slow down a bit and I'll jump. It's all good. Um, but the like watching all of that happening and, and the and the effect that it's going to have, like New Zealand's suddenly getting so tied up with China and stuff as well, right. um, uh, where America could be with that. And so we we see like China is where this virus starts, and you know the the evidence is looking more and more likely that uh, like we we know that the virus was not it didn't come from a bat, it was made in a lab. And the question now is was it released on purpose or was it an accident? Because when we look at the way that this virus has affected elections and stuff that has happened all around the place. It's meant that, you know, Biden would not be sitting in the position that he's in if not for COVID, I don't think. And the way that it's affected um, the whole election, the way that it's affected New Zealand. I think the, the problem that we have with COVID, yes, we always have mail-in ballots. Yes, we always have military ballots. We have early voting. We have all of that. The problem that came with COVID, though, was that e- the amount, first of all, has never been had we've never had 90 million early voting or mail-in ballots so that threw the whole process off second of all there wasn't a huge amount of of legal processes to change when counting could start if pennsylvania had 10 million mail-in ballots on november 1st why couldn't they start counting them so this process has really damaged how much people confidence people have in elections because they, majorly they, so one third of the american population million, pre-voted between early voting mail-in ballots absentee ballots 90 million americans had already voted by election day so when you have that and eat and there was not a federal change to laws to allow vote counting to begin early so that you truly were just counting the the in-person vote on election day because of that it's november 6th almost november 7th and we don't know who the president and the leader of the free world will be but is this surprising no it's not because surprising. I mean, this is not this was predictable even without of the surge of mail-in votes we, we knew that this, this was right? no way but the thing the, is i even if we didn't have mail-in votes I think Trump's made it abundantly clear that regardless of the outcome, and while there's obviously tampering going on, as there always is, it's good. we knew that this was going to get challenged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is going to get challenged by the Democrats, mm-hmm. or it's going to get challenged by Trump, and it's going to spend weeks in litigation. Of course it is. Like, we've known this for a yeah. while. So, I'm not surprised by this outcome. I, the thing, And the thing about this is systemic voter fraud is extraordinarily easy to spot. Like, it's... 
if you're looking at a data graph, right, and distributions, you it's so obvious, especially when you break it down by county. And if you're doing like arbitrary vote tampering, where you just discard a random assortment of ballots, obviously, depending on what county you're in and a number of other things, it can have a disproportional effect. But generally, if you're just arbitrarily discarding votes, it's going to have a minimal impact, mostly come out of the wash. The thing about COVID was, though, that like when people are voting in person on election day, the um, the um, the amount of vote tampering and stuff that can go on is much less. Yeah. With this early voting that's happened and the amount that's happened, the opportunity for especially the left to tamper, which they have done in the voting and stuff, has been massive. And so China has has me looking at here has been able to to do that also because of covid biden hasn't been out Mm because he's been oh we need to stay away we need to be you know covid we've got to be be safe and all this sort of thing which means he hasn't been out in front of people and all they're seeing their memory of biden as vice president biden with obama so many people liked obama um so they liked they liked him and an association association with obama and they didn't get a chance to see who biden is now and they didn't really get a chance to see um, Biden and Trump actually debate properly either and the whole thing just became this this big flop. We had several but presidential Isaiah debates. He had right two but it, yeah really. Isaiah's right about this though. I warned a while ago in the DC bubble about the nostalgic danger of Joe Biden because if you're living in a COVID world where Joe Biden is let's be honest not having a, a packed campaign schedule and you're living in a time where a lot of people look at Joe Biden as a return to the good old days of, of Obama. I don't think that's something the Trump campaign ever truly tackled. Obama in 2018 in the midterms was useless for Democrats. Everywhere he went, Democrats lost. So obviously there was a motivating factor. When, when Republicans see Obama, they remember life under Obama and they didn't like it. So obviously there's a motivating factor here. I wondered a lot why we were not seeing more of an attack on, on the Obama presidency. And if you noticed in that last debate, Joe Biden was distancing himself from Obama. Joe Biden was saying, well, it will become Biden care, not Obamacare. Yes, we made some mistakes on hostage negotiations in, in, during, in these countries under Obama. He was distancing himself. The Trump campaign never grasped the full danger of how nostalgic people were for the time of Obama and Joe Biden and that whole, that whole sort of more liberal institution. There is something about Obama that makes Republicans get off their butts and go vote. There is a, Obama motivates Republicans to the polls more than he motivates Democrats. Because if you're a Democrat, you hate Trump and you're already voting. There, there, is a lot, there are a lot of Republicans, and this is why we took the House back so much in 2010. There are a lot of Republicans who really, really did not like life under Obama. So they went out and voted. The problem the Trump campaign had was that there was a lot of independent and Democrat voters who maybe were more blue-collar, who were not socialists, who felt very nostalgic for the days of Joe Biden and the days of Barack Obama. And the Trump campaign never tackled that. They never had to stress to deal with that. We were talking about this a little bit earlier, but I don't think that the Trump campaign had much of a strategy aside from uh-huh. I'm going to be Trump. Oh, they did not. That was basically Aside it. from what? And aside, from- aside from I'm going to be Trump. Oh, no, they did not. I agree with you. I agree with you. And in 2016, Trump had his, he was still his own abrasive self. And of course, he built up a lot of resistance in that time, in that short presidential run that he had. But oh my goodness, has he built up an even stronger opposition mm-hmm. in the four years he's been president. That's true. 
And when you build up such a huge increase of opposition and you do not, and you have a worse campaign than you had in oh, 2016, yeah, definitely. basically a non-existent one yep. and ran entirely off of the personality, the cult of personality, I, you're not, I'm shocked that he, it's been as close as it has been. I was actually expecting this to be a relative, not a stomp, but I was expecting it to be a sizable victory for Biden. Yeah. And at the moment, that isn't what that, we're seeing, that which isn't- I'm surprised. That isn't what we're seeing. And I wrote about this for Freedomists. I wrote an article about how Trump's campaign strategy should be forgotten by future nominees. The the Brad Parscale was Trump's campaign manager. He was a data guy. Brad Parscale should never have been in that job. He was he, he had no experience leading a, a campaign of this magnitude. Brad Parscale was only fired a couple months ago. And one of the problems Brad Parscale had was he did not understand that it's not enough to just run as Trump, like you're saying, as the personality. You have to run with a platform. And and Isaiah, you're watching this from another country. What was the platform that you thought Trump was running on that you were you were taught it was talked about in your media, in the media around you? Well, everything in the media around me and stuff in terms of like the New Zealand media and what they're actually talking about was all overly negative towards Trump anyway, and just like we hate Trump because of this, that and the other thing. But there wasn't really and I, I read your thing about what what's his platform and stuff as well, Magdalene, and um, yeah, I really noticed that as an issue that he didn't have that platform like he did in 2016 of what he was running on. Other than I'm going to continue doing what I've been doing, I'm going to I'm going to keep building a strong economy like we built this economy. It's been hurt by COVID, and we're going to fix it again because we can. And you know that I can do that. It was probably one of the biggest things um, that. Uh, so there was that, and I'm going to drain the swamp. I've been draining it. Look what I've done, and I'm going to keep doing that. And those are probably the two biggest things. And I think that those things have probably put him where he is now because people do have a lot of trust in him yes. for what he has done. But he didn't, you know, didn't see anything about securing border or anything like that, other than what he was been doing and that sort of thing. Um, there was a there was a, a couple of videos in that that came out that. But they came out really late. Like Yeah, well, that's um, when we had the change from Brad Parscale to Bill Stipian as campaign manager. And when that's I saw those, I was like, was. Trump, let's That's go! what the shift was. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was too late. We had that shift. And also, Trump in 2016, I mean, he's always kind of the underdog because the media hates him. But in 2016, he was his thing was he was saying what people were afraid to say. That wasn't happening this time. What he was saying was what he was always saying. And there were a lot of times where he, you know, he's had massive foreign policy victories. He's taken out generals uh, that, that were really attacking us. He's really stomped down ISIS. He got rid of the caliphate. These were things Chuck Schumer praised him for when he moved the embassy to Jerusalem. He did not run on them. And I don't understand why. And in the latest, like, campaign video things and stuff like that that I was seeing, they were actually highlighting those things. Yeah, because they knew. And that got me fired up, you know, that got me excited. Um, But that should have been out six months ago. And that's because that's what happens when you have somebody in, in, you know, Kellyanne Conway, before she came to Trump's campaign, was a veteran pollster and worked in the GOP for decades and knew what she was doing. When you have somebody who doesn't know what they're doing at the top of your campaign, who only thinks you can win a campaign based off of Facebook ads, I mean, are we really... I mean, Alexander, you well, like, what did you see as his campaign? Uh, non-existent. Yeah. I mean, despite not really using YouTube for political videos, I, 
I just got a ton of Trump ads, which actually got a little irritating. But they were just very general, yeah. bland. Yeah. It was just him on a pedestal saying, hey, I've done this stuff and I'm going to make America great again. It's basically the exact, the ver- minor variations of the exact same catchphrase he's had for, since four years ago. It wasn't anything new. And to be honest with you, I don't know if those campaign videos would have been enough. Even if they come out, I'm sure it would have helped if they come out six months ago. But I think what Trump has no shortage of radical supporters. Like there are lots and lots of more. And I, what I mean by radical, I don't mean violent. Not I like just mean extraordinarily obsessed. Or and, but what he does have a lack of is moderate supporters. Mm-hmm. And I think that Trump has burned a lot of moderate Republicans. And I would count myself into this list to the point where uh, there were a lot of Republicans who had a lot of good reasons to not vote for Trump, not saying to go and vote for Biden, but to to not not vote vote for for Trump Trump and maybe to vote for other conservatives or just not vote for a president and engage in their local elections. And I don't think that the, the style of advertising that Trump has had and his campaign styles never really appeal to moderates, necess- at least not in my opinion. Um, at least they certainly don't appeal to me. Um, the type of things, in fact, most presidential ads don't appeal, even the libertarian candidate ads generally don't appeal to me. Um, but that's, again, political ads tend to have a very emotional tinge. Like, they're they're supposed to make you feel good. They're kind of these group mindset, hey, let's always, go do the pump up and let's go but do this thing. And, I'm just- spo- and this is something that I, I wondered. Karl Rove was the guy who got Bush, bo- all the Bushes, their presidential runs. He was there with them. Like, two years ago, I remember sitting there and he was on one of the shows and he said, the point of the, the way that you win the White House when you're in the White House is you make people think that the alternative is scary. And that always stayed with me. And I felt like a lot of times the ads Trump was running, they, they were like, oh, everything's wonderful. And I, like, you live in this great country. And that was true. But when they, when they should have been, this will happen and it will be bad. And Joe Biden is dangerous. It was kind of like, the, it, the reverse was happening. Joe Biden was running off of if this guy stays in for four more years, it will be horrible and depressing and everything. And Trump was running off of everything is great. Let's keep going. P- every p- People in politics know that it's supposed to be the other way. And I think Trump's fear of the Bushes, of having people who are veteran GOP operatives in his bubble, I think that's hurt him, like you're saying, because those people know how to appeal to people like you, Matthew. Those people <clears throat> but, know how to no, talk to you. But that wouldn't... But that- I'll tell you what that would make that would turn me off. But even it wouldn't more. have turned off other other more moderate Republicans, Democrats who, like, who needed to who needed if that. Anyone, fear if any political, if any message, if your prime like, and this doesn't matter any ideology, whether it's political or otherwise. If your driving message to me is "be afraid of the other guy," I'm the good guy. I'm going to be much less receptive because you're you're utilizing fear as a manipulative tool to get someone to be more to overlook perhaps some flaws that you might have to me that's that's manipulation is it effective 
yes, it is effective. But at least personally, I think if you're running your campaign based off of being afraid of the other person. That's my point, though. That is how, but but it it can be a philosophical But that also perpetuates so many other problems we have in our system right now. But the system isn't isn't what you should be thinking about. You're trying to win a campaign. And this was something that people... But why are you trying to win a campaign? Because Trump was, well, Trump was trying to win a campaign. I'm talking, I, I know, but you said that you shouldn't be thinking about the system you're trying to win an election. Yeah, that is, that's And I'm, again, I'm trying to bring. Because Joe Biden, because Joe Biden picked somebody who is the most liberal member of the Senate. Because at the end of the day, Joe Biden picked somebody who supports the Green New Deal, who thinks that our foreign policy should be that we save every single kitten in the world and send and send troops everywhere. And Trump needed to say, the world will be dark and scary without me. And that didn't happen. And he let people who had no business running a, a, a presidential campaign run his presidential campaign. I think we have a lot of parallel conversations going on in terms of like a lot of different, different failures, different things that could have been changed or could have been different. But I'll be honest, there was a huge part of this country that believed the world was scary. I don't think it was. And I'm the world was not scary under Trump necessarily. There were times when you're just kind of like, oh, boy, what's he going to do? But But in the reality, that's what he needed to point out was like. Oh, okay, guys. Yeah, maybe there was some scary times here. But actually what ended up happening was that we've got more peace than ever before. And we've been around and brokered all of these deals and everything. And I'm the man. Yeah. That needed to happen. I don't that know. That needed to happen. And What were you going to say, Alexander? I don't know. I don't know if that would have worked. What, what would have worked? What would have worked for you? Because I, th- I think that a lot of the things that we've talked about would have worked for a lot of people that maybe we're not engaged with. But what would have worked for you? I guess I would want him to be a little bit more presidential. If he came in and have having mellowed out a little bit, I'm not saying that he's not going to be Trump. I don't expect the man to all of a sudden turn into George Bush, right? But if he had basically reduced the political poo-flinging that tends to dominate our elections and really set down a focus of, look, okay, here's what here's the things that we've accomplished in the past four years, and here are the things I'm really looking to get done. Or here's some ideas on how, like, really pushing things like trying to bring unity back to the country, especially. But unity for this country, though, I think, Matthew, I don't think people want unity. I don't think a lot of people are on board with that. So, you know, you have to decide if you want those people who, those fewer people who are, or those many people who are not. Isaiah. And let's let's be honest. Let's be honest. So, like, so we think the, the majority of the people in America don't want. I don't unity think the majority country. of the people in America believe that the other side is is good anymore. I think we're at that level of danger. But I think it's been this way. The thing the thing about that is though. Let's let's be honest here. Okay, so let's say Joe Biden got elected. You're going to have some areas of of um, of Republicans and um, moderate to right wing people that are going to be upset for a couple of months and then it's going to go to business as usual they're going to fight against them in the proper ways there's going to be debates there's going to be court cases there's going to be all this sort of stuff but otherwise people are going to get on with their lives and they're going to work really hard to make sure that somebody else gets elected in the next election yeah in four years time if trump gets elected what what are they doing in dc they're boarding up everywhere and all of these cities are boarding up all their businesses for fear that trump's going to get elected because people are, they're going to be in mobs go out into the street and smash stuff and burn down cities 
that's, that's the difference. True. That is just true. I think that is and that, just that's true. and that's just straight truth. Like that's I've got true. I've got videos here of of all of these um, journalists going through like different cities and that Washington City. Nigel Farage. I, um, do you know who he is, Nigel yeah. Farage? Yep. So like Leader he's in Washington D.C. walking through there, talking about what's going on and showing everyone's gone. The place is a ghost town. Everybody's everything has boarded up. There's only a few places that weren't. Yeah, and and that is not for fear of um of, right. of Biden um winning. It is for fear of Trump winning and what the extreme leftist mobs are going to do, and that is a problem. I agree, but it's exactly the type of rhetoric that Trump uses, Biden uses, that basically any politician today uses that has driven us to this state. No, right? I don't think I, so. We, I don't think it's rhetoric. I, I think it's the fact that a lot of Republicans looked around in, tw- in, in the eight years of Obama. A lot of Republicans looked around and they realized that it wasn't so much you could have debates. It was shut up, sit down. It was if you said, hey, our foreign policy is a national disgrace and disaster. It was you just hate Obama. They weaponized Obama. They made it so if you disliked Obama, you disliked like the future of hope or something. That's what happened. So when Trump came in in 2016, Republican voters were like, hey, I'm really, really angry. And it's not because I'm evil. It's not because I'm, I hate people. It's because we've not been able to say Obama's a bad president, in their opinion. This is not rhetoric. We got the rhetoric because the American people were, were enraged on both sides. That's where the rhetoric came from to me. I don't see how Trump I, created this problem. But I'm not saying Trump created the problem. No, I'm, In fact, my argument has been throughout most of our podcasts that the problems, the the systemic problems in our political system, have just been exacerbated by Trump and by this, not just by him. It's not his fault. Like every politician who is currently has power is engaged in perpetuating the system intentionally or unintentionally to some degree, right? And especially in the presidential realm, our default as Americans is to hate and to vilify the other side. Yeah. When it comes to the American political system, unity is what we need. Whether or not the majority of Americans want it, I don't care. People cannot want the solution to their problems. It's much easier to hate someone that you that it's it's so easy to paint someone and to use emotional um, distaste to bolster support. But it all it does is, and when we have legitimate issues. Right, legitimate dividing issues, whether that's abortion or other such things, it there's a time and a place to take a stand and to not budge. Right, there's a time to not seek unity above all else. Right, it's kind of like peace. There's a time to go to war and there's a time for peace, but we're not very good about choosing when to go to war with our fellow countrymen and when we should have peace. And this, it's not just Republicans' fault. I'm not, so I, I do apologize if I've come across that way. But all, all it takes is one glance through a Facebook feed of mixed political, like if you've got any sort of mixture to your political persuasions of your friends list, it's all the same mess. It's all the same stuff stirred around in the pot. And I guess that's what bugs me. It's the type of thing like, I just don't like seeing people that I know are good people be horrible. Like, and be horrible representatives for themselves, for their faith, or just for what what opinions they hold. And 
this is all across the board. And that's depressing. I hear, I hear what you're saying, but I also think that um, we can sometimes get isolated with those kind of, those sorts out with certain people that we see. Like I'm, I'm part of a whole bunch of left groups on Facebook and stuff, like really left groups. That, and so watching what's going on in them during these elections and stuff like that and what they're saying and the type of stuff that they're talking about and everything and the things that they really want, the things that they're discussing in there that they, they want to see happen around the world. Um, plus like the what we were talking about before with like uh, Trump wins the election, there's going to be massive you know protests and burning down cities and looting and violence and all this sort of stuff. Uh, um, Biden wins their... their be a few little things here and there but generally people will get on with life and work to win the next election basically um the the right generally as people in that we we don't hate the other side we we disagree with them we're upset with them and that sort of thing we we strongly disagree and, and we and and trump never he never gets up there and does and is you know driving hate or anything like that towards the other side or um saying these people are racist they're disgusting horrible people get them out of here all of this sort of thing you know if you don't if you don't agree with us and you're terrible horrible, horrible people or anything. He never does anything like that. All he tries to do is be inclusive and everything that he does is to try and fix America and to make America better for everyone. He's worked so hard with minority groups, with the with African Americans and all these sort of people to actually do stuff to make their life better and because he loves them, whereas the left does everything that they can to separate and divide, the right tries to unify as a whole. Not everyone is. And, I but- don't... But that's, I don't think that's completely true. Trump's not, I don't think that Trump's has a bunch of hateful rhetoric, right? Some stuff he says is kind of questionable. And I can see how some people, especially with a bias against Trump, could, could interpret it as such. But I don't think Trump is responsible for a lot of what I'm seeing in people. I am not, I'm not quite willing to accept that Trump does what he does out of the goodness of his heart. I, I'm a little bit, maybe this is my own bias coming through i have an inherent distrust of authority figures particularly presidents and especially ones that don't as far as i'm concerned there are enough instances where trump's just kind of been disingenuous but i expected as much i never expect a politician to get up there and be transparent or to be genuine i mean do you think that there are republicans who do believe he's done it out of like the goodness of his heart the vast majority of the people that i spend time around that are, you know, at least vocal fans of Trump. They all tend to be a little bit too enamored. Like, almost to the point of blindness, I'd say. At least it feels that way. So, like, I, the I could just be Obama. being judgmental. Mm-hmm. A bit. Yes, a bit. Where it's basically, look at this, like, look at Trump. I mean, he's such a hard worker. All he ever does is he does everything because he cares for the American people. There's never been a more caring president. I have way too, I have way more people on my friends list than I'd like to admit that have actually posted that they think Trump is the best American president in history. That is a really... Hey guys, Daniel Myers here. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. If so, don't forget to leave us a rating and review. It helps us out a ton. Also, for more great content, check out our YouTube channel where we post lots of fun and helpful videos. Just search Freedomists. That's Freedom I-S-T-S. Also, get connected with our community at Instagram where we post multiple times a week. And finally, if you want to support this community and look good doing it, check out our store at Freedomists.us where you can get great gear like our Washington shirt or my personal favorite, the Freedomist Dad Hat. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the episode.
Well, I think everybody looks at Trump in a, in a different way. One thing that I have wanted to discuss is that we are, you know, we're looking at a different Republican Party, a different GOP now. And based off of what I've seen, what I've heard, the there seems to be an effort by the Republican Party already to say, we're moving away from Trump. You know, thank you, Trump, for what you did, but we're good, and we got this, and Nikki Haley's going to be president. As somebody who is pretty involved in politics, I will tell you, I think that is extraordinarily naive of the Republican Party. You Wait, want, they, the, they who's going to be president? Nikki Haley. They oh, won I'm these the governorships. UN they, ambassador? Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They won these governorships, they won all these, and we won a majority of governorships on Tuesday night, which people aren't talking enough about either. So the Republican Party had a pretty good night on Tuesday night. I think the idea that you're going to be able to sort of dismiss Trump, the Trumps are now one of the founding families of the GOP. It is the McCains, the Bushes, the Romneys, and the Trumps now. And the GOP has to reckon with the fact that the most popular member of the, of the Republican Party is Trump. Whether or not you hate him or love him, that's the truth. So 2024, the field of candidates, is it going to be somebody like Nikki Haley? Or is it going to be the person that gets the Trump endorsement? Are we looking at Donald Trump Jr.? Are we looking at Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who's in that position because of Trump? What do you guys think about the field of 2024 presumptive prospective Republican how, nominees? How about, how about a 2024 ticket of Ivanka and mm. Nikki Haley? How about not? How about we um? How about we skip that? Because Ivanka, Ivanka came up with the brilliant campaign strategy that has led us to the situation we are in in the Midwest. So I people, would prefer- people make mistakes. People make mistakes. But let's be honest, like it'll be, it'll be pretty. That'll be a pretty, pretty, pretty potent ticket. I would prefer not, not, not to have that ticket. Um, <laughs> to be honest with you, I think there are other Trumps to choose from. Uh, I would prefer not to have that ticket, but I do think that there's going to be a massive, massive amount of anger. I mean, we could be looking at Tucker Carlson on the ticket in 2024. <sighs> what? Yeah, that's being floated. I, I'll, I'll get behind that. I mean, I'm not saying no to that. Imagine Tucker Carlson. Imagine, like, stacking it's, Biden up to against me, that's him. Kind of like, but to <laughs> me, that's kind of like, it's like putting uh, Glenn Beck on a presidential ticket. I'm just kind of like... Mm. So you got Biden who will actually be 80 years old and Tucker who would be like 54. So let's, like Tucker- let's be honest. Biden's not going to go for a second term. It'll be, no. it'll be Kamala Harris. If she- so imagine Tucker Carlson versus Kamala Harris. I'll tune into that. Which I, I also still have no idea how she got put on as a vice president. Because they had no choice. I mean, especially because... Well, especially because like right at that time, you had all of this... Um, you know, sudden interest in police reform and stuff like that. And Kamala Harris has a very spotty record on that front, as does Biden. So I was shocked that for as big of a as a big of a controversial topic as that was for, you know, a solid two months, that that really didn't get discussed. Because because the anybody. left actually doesn't but care. Really- and they, they, they start these things like, oh, we're going to, you know, defund the police and all this sort of thing. But they're like, we actually don't care about that. That's just a distraction. Um, and then they put uh, these people there. And, and the people that are jumping up and down like, defund the police, they don't I actually guess- look. I'm trying to, I want to draw a distinction between the left as a corporation mm. And by that, I, I really mean the DNC. The establishment, And yep. the left as people. Mm. I saw two people on my friends list that were what I would consider to be borderline leftists. And they did bring this up briefly. It was more or less a complete dismissal and just, okay, but no, this other thing is more important. 
Am I the only one that feels like the RNC and the DNC are generally... We've, both, we've always complained about the candidates we've had to choose. The bulk of Americans have complained, even if they've, been, they've made their choice at the end, about just having horrible candidates, right? Joe Biden and Trump, not the best of the lot. Trump and Hillary. That was all people were talking about, how it was not the best of the lot, and it was lesser of two evils conversations left, right, and center. How much of, the, how much of this is completely locked up in how our nomination system is working no you're talking about candidate recruitment you're talking about candidate recruitment not candidate nomination obama was recruited obama the dnc went out and said to him you need to run for president go run for president trump ran for president and won the nomination process hillary ran for for president and won the nomination process the problem we have with candidate recruitment uh marco rubio in 2016 was recruited Remember that? Remember when Marco Rubio was the future of the RNC and the Republican Party in America? He was recruited. My English professor in my freshman year, oh my goodness, he he did not like Marco Rubio. I mean, every other lecture he went off on some rant about Marco Rubio. It was really quite entertaining. That's like a strange person to take such a position on. (laughs) What didn't he like about him? Oh, I don't... Oh, I don't remember. I think this was, if I recall correctly, this started right after that one debate where Trump was just like, uh, made that really horrendously cringy, uh, that's what she said type joke. You know, he was just, could not get over that. He's just like, and my English professor was an animated fellow. So it was, (laughs) man, anyway. I don't don't know that much about Marco Rubio. I I only saw a little bit. I don't either. I I just, the the only thing I remember about him was him basically just getting roasted on stage in front of everyone. That's the thing, though. He basically literally said, your pee-pee small, and that was it. I think that the the difference that you're talking about, Alexander, of we're unhappy with our candidates, honestly, aside from Obama, pretty recently, unless Joe Biden wins, candidates who have been recruited have failed. I mean, the GOP field got blown to smithereens in 2016. People, Marco Rubio has never been the same. Ted Cruz kind of picked his life back up, but the majority of them have never really been the same. Yeah, exactly. A little bit. (laughs) They have all sort of been a little bit broken. I mean, Chris Christie's sort of fallen apart. It's been bad. They've had to go through, like, (laughs) rehab after dealing with Trump. So, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. The only thing I remember... They had to go through that. So, with the Democrats, the Democrats recruited one good guy in, like, 20 years. They recruited one dude. It comes down to the nomination process. The voters are choosing these people. Go ahead. I remember seeing him, I think this is during, like, the Obama election. He was... I I don't remember in what context, but... And then the only thing I've seen about him recently is just the meme. Like the the old the old YouTube clips where he's just like no no you have been stopped you know that really obnoxious that's for him yeah. right that's Chris Christie yeah. okay that I mean that the distinctive GOP, he's got a distinctive silhouette the GOP field in 2016 I love it when Ted Cruz comes out and is like the biggest Trump supporter in the world and wouldn't even endorse him in his RNC speech that's what you get with candidate recruitment so in 2024. Republicans are going to have no control over candidate recruitment because Don Jr. is going to run. Ron DeSantis is going to run. Tucker Carlson will probably run. Then what do you do? What a weird world (laughs) where reality TV star and a Fox News personality. And the governor of Florida. And the governor of Florida. Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida. Florida man? We have Florida man that might be running for president. (laughs) If Trump doesn't win this election, though, if Trump doesn't win this... I think that he will run again in 2024. 
Yeah, I do too. And I actually think that, <laughs> that, 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 that the lessons that he learns from this, um, if he loses this, which it looks like he will, he will take those lessons and he will learn from them and he will win. He should win big. After after going through four years of Biden, I can't see why he wouldn't win big in 2024. It's kind of like what Nixon did. I mean, it's I kind of what, I mean, aside, Nixon wasn't president when he lost, but Nixon, Nixon kind of sat around after losing to Kennedy and was like, all right, we're going to do this again and we're going to get it right this time, the first time. And Trump really, really likes to li- likes Nixon. He looks at Nixon as somebody who him and you know this is so frustrating to me because just side rant nixon and pat nixon were like the most admired couple in the world she was a great dignitary and she has just been besmirched by the media and the republican party so i think there's a lot of comparisons sorry i really it's very frustrating to me about pat nixon sorry i I don't have a lot of positive associations with nixon and that's beyond that's even beyond no i mean his wife pat nixon is his wife i don't know i don't know anything about her unfortunately I actually, I I would be very curious to see Trump's campaign if he does run again after, if he doesn't win the re-election and he does run again next time, I'd actually be very interested to see what his approach is. That's kind of more of a academic curiosity more than anything else. But if the whole Biden presidency just kind of ends up being eh, where nothing gets done and it's just kind of, well, it's not Trump, but otherwise it's just gridlock, which... I'm expecting a lot of Republican resistance, especially if we have the Supreme Court and we have the Senate. Aren't we glad we have the Supreme like Court now? Aren't um, we glad? Yeah, but isn't but I AOC's like, like unless we need to Biden, expand the Supreme Court and have more, and I'm just like, yeah, but that's a time that takes time. That's, a, that's, a, that's a hard now? process, right? Basically, Biden would have to really work hard, I think, to get a lot done. Um, just because he's going to get, I think just about every Republican and their mother is going to be working diligently against him. Let's be honest. Um, Biden isn't going to so do any I don't, It's going to be Kamala Harris. He's just going to sit back with a cup of tea, really, quite senile, like sipping just in the kind White of like, I just, but I actually don't, they haven't done much with her. So unless she's just going to be kind of like the secretary from Zootopia, where she just kind of sits in the back boiler room doing paperwork, I, I don't know. Um... They haven't made her a figurehead, is what I'm trying they to say. They can't. She has but no idea what she's doing. The thing, the thing is, that it's not the big stuff that they do. It's the um, the gradual undermining that just goes on for four years of America, American values, and who you guys. I mean, are. What does that mean? Just what does the, that mean to you? The constant working to undermine the Constitution, all of this sort of stuff, the free speech, the... But um, how does that get undermined without law? Because it, it's, it's a changing of people's... Um, their their feelings towards it and their support of it to continually erode that away the changing of things in the school systems and that and the, um, all of that sort of thing that just slowly undermines um, who and what America is. America's... Global civilization as a whole has been going left for a long time. I'm not talking about places of religious extremism, places like the Middle East. I'm talking about Western countries. Western governments have been going left. And America will continue to go left, shy of some... But I don't think this country is moving towards the left. And in 2022... If Republicans can just not be total idiots and just keep the party somewhat together, which I think you will have between Trump and McConnell, who is a very savvy politician, imagine a situation where Joe Biden is president 
and does not have the House. They're holding the House by 14 seats. They're holding the House by 14 seats, Democrats. Last time, the last midterms, the Republicans lost 47 seats. That always happens to the party that holds the Oval Office. So imagine a situation where Democrats lose, they only have to lose 14 seats in 2022. So imagine a situation where the presidency is held by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and they don't have the Senate, they don't have the Supreme Court, and they don't have the House. What that, that is the, that is the revolt of the center right. So moving, moving forward from here, um, what happens, what does this look like going forward? Let's say Trump loses, which I've said before is very looking like, very likely going to be what happens. What, let's say he runs again in 2024. What does he do in the meantime? Is he still involved in the Republican Party? What does this look like going forward? If, if he chooses to not run in 2024, what does this look like? What is, what is, what is going to be happening? Well, if he runs in 2024, I think he will take the best people of this campaign and he will, t- and he will get rid of the worst people of this campaign. Personally, I think you'll see a return of, of, the, of the team that got him Florida and the team that got him Ohio, but you see a different strategy with the Rust Belt. He will have looked at the numbers. He will know he underperformed with white working class voters. He will know he has to talk to them more. And there's a very big difference between Trump at, what would he be? He would be like 79. Between Trump at 79, what, isn't he, how, how old is he now? Isn't he like 70, 75? No, he is old. I just keep forgetting. Yeah, exactly. But that will help him. The fact that you forget that, that will help him. Because Joe Biden running for re-election, if he's still alive, you know, hopefully, at 80, will be very different than Trump trying to run for re-election at 79. And honestly, he doesn't have, he has an actual track record to run on. So you got four years of stagnation. Donald Trump comes in there and is like, we're just going to go back to what it was like in, from 2016 to 2020. I think people will be very receptive to that. So he just continues working the whole time in between, just um, building his popularity. Yes, he's got to maintain control of the Republican Party. The way that you do that is you make yourself indispensable in primaries and you make yourself indispensable in the midterms. He also has to say to Mitch McConnell and the RNC, "If if you ignore me, if you say that you don't need me anymore, I will go and I will back primary candidates who cannot win general elections in the midterms and you will lose your majorities everywhere. He's got to play like guerrilla warfare if he wants if he wants to not be treated like garbage by the RNC. What do you think the likelihood is? Do you think the RNC will try to treat him like garbage or do you oh, think they they're going to be they already are. They're already distancing themselves. They're already doing that. The problem they have is they really like this new block of voters, but you have that new block of voters because those voters are voting for Trump. He could very realistically take back the White House. I don't think we're going to see another two-term president for a very long time. If this is the level of anger and upsetment you get when someone's in for four years, then let's have Trump in for four years and just revamp the whole field. Uh, but back to what you were saying about the age of the uh, of the candidates and stuff. I've been watching like Joe Biden like walking around the place and stuff, though. Like, he looks like a geriatric. It? It's horrifying, isn't it? Like, he's, he's walking down some steps, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, his legs look like they're going to fall out. He's walking up to a stage somewhere, and I'm like, the man looks like he should be in a retirement elderly home with, um, you know, specialised care. Like, and then Trump comes out, and he's just, he looks in control. You know what I mean? The media will never think he can win. He will never... I don't know why, but they will never believe that it can happen again. So who? So what will they do? They'll run Kamala Harris, who at that time will have 
push the country into such division, the likes of which we haven't seen since Obama went on that little tirade in 2014 where he thought he was like king of the universe. Black she Jesus. will push the she will push the country into such madness that Trump will come in, or Trump Jr., Ron DeSantis, or Tucker Carlson. They'll be like, let's have a conversation about the fact that nothing is going well. And the honest truth is, Democrats have now cast Republicans as a sympathetic underdogs. How was that a good idea? How was that a good idea? I don't know. Maybe I spend way too much time around radicals, but all, the only categorization, which is not a universal one, obviously, is just the stereotypical MAGA boys. I don't know what I don't know what else to call them. Just the lifted truck, coal rolling. I've got five million Trump flags on the back of my truck type. Basically, the most extreme equivalent of a Trump supporter that you can imagine. The thing is, is a lot of those people, though, like I know people like that, um, got friends in the States and that, that are those type of people and that. And those type of people, like every single one of them that I know that are that sort of thing, like they all care so much and they, they love people. They're not the people that cause division or anything. They're out there going like, yeah, let's go Trump. But they're like, and we, we love people and most and all of the ones that I know of that of in that caliber and that they're all Christians and they're all they're all lovely and they people. Vote. And yeah. they vote. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad that those groups of people for you are kind and loving people. In the case of the people that I personally know that are like this, it varies. Like in person, they're reasonable, most of them. But not politically. Like they're like if they they'd help someone if they needed help, they'll have your back, but they are not politically compassionate individuals or politically reasonable. And to be absolutely clear, I'm not categorizing Trump voters wholesale, of course. Um, not at all. Just that type of person. I I don't know. Unfortunately, the, the most vocal Trump supporters on my friends list are all like the worst sorts of Trump supporters. They kind of have all the stereotypical, I was like the libtard screaming, all caps, Facebook comment replies on anything that even tangentially relates to Trump or anything like that. It's just basically all cap comments. And you're just kind of like... Uh, the, the way the way you get to that though the way you get to that is the way that the left continually treats anybody that stands for any sort of Christian value or anything like you're this terrible horrible person that hates everyone and being screamed at at their face all the time eventually people I don't see that with Christians like I'm not saying it doesn't happen so I'm just at least what I don't see is a lot of people getting criticized for being Christians even in a university sector people don't care if you're religious. They don't care if you're religious like, they and don't. you're quiet about it. They don't I, They don't care if you are even openly religious. What You just have to understand that in the case of... I don't know. It's not hard to not get fussed at. Like, and you can have your opinions and you can be strong about them and you can be engaged. But I don't... What I'm trying to say here is a lot of the people that I know that act this way, that are, like, hyper-obnoxious and very loud, these people have not personally experienced any significant persecution for their beliefs, political or religious. They are only reacting to perceived persecution. Their outrage and their anger is not even firsthand. It's usually based off of a story that they've that's been crafted for them that they're reacting to. Not that it's not, it's not wrong to be frustrated. Like, I think all of us have frustrations with our political system, and that's fine. 
but it doesn't justify going full-out irrational for one particular candidate. Especially as Christians, you can be very you can be very fond of a candidate. I don't think there's a lot of room or a lot of justification for Christians to be political to be fanboys or fangirls of a particular politician. And I I mean fanboy or fangirl in the extreme. Because all of us ought to know that our excuse me, our hope right isn't in a politician. Right? Our hope is in Christ, not the politician. The politician is a human, fundamentally flawed and deceitful, as all of us are. And the fact that power corrupts, this is almost universal. People, Certain people are better to resist the corruption than others. So I'm not saying that everyone who goes into power is inherently going to be bad just because they're given the authority to do something. But taking all these things into consideration doesn't mean you don't vote. It doesn't mean you don't vote for them. It doesn't mean you don't advocate for other people to consider voting for them based off their merits. But going out and waving a flag and being more vocal about your love for Trump than your love for Christ, that's a problem. That's because true. that's then you paint a bad picture for all of Christianity because you're now assigning all of the baggage, legitimate or not, that people have from Trump to Christianity and to Christ. That's a problem. It's, it's a very, it's a very, very good point. But then at the same time, during an, ele- an election cycle, like generally there may be more posts and stuff about politics and things than than other stuff. Oh, but, I don't, yeah. I don't mind political. I don't like political posts, but I don't have any problem with people making them. I don't have a problem with someone who claims to be a Christian making a post trying to extol the virtues of Trump or why they think he's a better candidate. That's perfectly fine. That's kind of what we're doing here, right? Or there's nothing wrong with that. What I don't like is when people get up and start waving the flag and chanting the mantras. You're not going to convince a single soul by waving a flag or, or chanting, you know, make America great again or posting it someplace. If you go and you're posting MAGA 2020 into a comment thread somewhere, you're not going to convince a single soul. Like, it, unless they're already on your side, they're just going to get more and more irritated because of what you're doing. And, you know, obviously... It's just more about specifically for Christians that we're cautious about our political behaviors such that they do not detract from our Christian witness. And I just have seen there are way too many people on my friends list, people with who otherwise have strong testimonies or have um, unique perspectives that would be very beneficial towards uh, bringing people to the faith completely go and destroy their witness by their behavior on Facebook when it comes to politics, becoming extraordinarily combative and angry people that do not show the love of, of their love for Christ to anyone they interact with unless they agree with them politically. And that's that's what I don't like. And that's what I don't like that Trump seems to have done more than other can. I don't remember people doing this for... Mitt Romney no, this is, this or someone with like Reagan. that. This happened with Reagan. This was this was a, a facet. But the thing with Reagan, though, that I think Trump has mixed and missed, and I was talking to my mom about this, Reagan came into the political game, presidential politics. He'd already been president of the Actors Association. He'd been governor of Florida. Reagan was an outsider, 
but Reagan understood that you cannot be nice. I will tell you, and Alexander, you may not agree with this, but I'll tell you as personal experience, Trump has been very, very forgiving of Republicans when he should not have been. He has been very, very forgiving of Republican strategists when they have failed him. He's been very forgiving of Republican pollsters, of Republican politicians. He he has lacked a vicious edge that he has towards the left within his own party. And when you lack that, people don't tell you, hey, you're underperforming with the people that brought you the election last time. Hey, you need to focus on this other group of people because if you don't, you're going to lose the Midwest. There were a lot of times in Isaiah, you asked what Trump will do differently if he runs again. I believe he, he will have gained that vicious edge that Ronald Reagan had, which is why Reagan was able to hang on to that White House when all the polls showed he wasn't going to win it. Well, you know, I actually, I don't inherently disagree with you. I actually think that... Republicans should be harder on Republicans in certain ways and less so in others. We don't need more of the uh, if you don't like Trump, you're a traitor to the Republican Party mentality. We don't need more of that. But what we do need more of is accountability of performance and just willing other Republicans being willing to criticize each other, even harshly, but for the right reasons. That I totally agree with. I think it's fine for the for Trump to go after people who aren't performing well, but as long as it's not becoming basically groupies fighting. Like we always go when we let a lot of people tend to laugh at the left for their cannibalistic tendencies. We don't need that. It's okay to be self-critical. That's beneficial. It helps you be better, perform better. But being cannibalistic about it is a he, problem. He has been too, I think also... And you, like you mentioned Ivanka, and you mentioned um, Nikki Haley people. There has there has always been a group of people within the Republican Party who have looked at Trump as the stepping stone to their own political career. Some of which I think are within the very very closest circle of his. When the midterms happened, he got rid of a lot of people within like within the strategy area and everything, but he kept a lot of the people that I think he had a sentimental attachment to. And that has hurt him now. So when he's looking at this and he, I don't think that this is going to work out in his favor. I hope it does, but I don't think it will. When he's looking at this, the takeaway has got to be the Republican Party never truly, despite its supporters, they were never comfortable with Trump. There is a way you have to be in the Republican Party for the for them to like you, for those upper echelon people to like you. He never made them like him. Reagan didn't either, but Reagan got rid of all of them and rebuilt it. That's what Trump had to do. If he runs in 24, if Don Jr. runs in 24, I think we could see what happened with the Bushes where 41 lost. Yeah. And then 43 ran and won everything and took all the lessons that he that he watched from his father's campaign and put them in place. I think you might see that with Don Jr. or Trump might do it. But we have not seen the last candidate Trump or President Trump, in my opinion. What do you think, Isaiah? I, I, I agree with you, absolutely, and I think that that's a really good thing as well, because um, I really do, as I've said again and again and again, these people, they're, they're, built, they're definitely building, uh, the Trumps are definitely building a political... Um, uh, destiny and um, sorry, a, a political dynasty um, but they're not politicians and they're not there to make money out of it, I don't think they're there to fix America, it could get to the point where it will become that they're there for whatever reasons like the Bushes are now um, but I don't think that um, 
like if there's if there's a third if there's a third wave of of Trumps like uh, Baron or maybe Don Junior's kids or something like that, um, I think that their their focus then may be different than what it has been for um, Donald Trump at the moment. But yeah, it's gonna be. Uh, I, th- I don't think they're gonna be going away anytime soon. They're not, and also the GOP has to reckon with the fact that the most popular family of the GOP before Trump was the Bushes. They had the most power. If you looked at it, they had the most people they could call. Now, the most powerful family is the Trumps, and the Bushes are second. So if you think that you can dismiss Trump, how will you do that when you need to raise an extra $3 million, when you need a candidate to get that base out? The, The party on the surface looked like it was taken over by Trump. The, that didn't happen within the real epicenter of, of communications. That didn't occur. Maybe Trump spends the next four years doing that, but I don't think that anyone in the Trump family is comfortable with this being the last time Trump is in power, or Trump is in power. Yeah. What do you think, Alexander, just to sort of cap it off a little bit? I agree. I think that the Trump family is definitely going to stick around. As a slight aside, I think it's interesting to actually see how some of the older Democrats on my Facebook list uh, have actually gone to almost a, a little bit of a change and posting things that seem to have some sort of fond sentiment for the Bushes or like some. So I'm kind of like, well, this is kind of an interesting turnabout. Um I hope that if any of the other Trumps run, that they do it for the right reasons and that they are gracious leaders and good ones, as any president or presidential wannabe ought to be. But other than that, I don't I don't have a whole lot more to say in terms of the I don't there are none that appeal to me as being particularly good candidates for new leaders for the country. Um I don't necessarily think that they'd be good for the country, but then again, I don't know. I haven't heard what they have to say. Definitely think that the, them and their family is going to have a lasting impact in one way or another. Well, thank you all for tuning in to the new episode of the Stop Yelling, Start Thinking podcast. By the time this episode drops, President Trump may clearly not have won the presidential election, or there may have been more questions about it. We'll probably still be in litigation either way. I'm sure this will not be completely resolved, but you'll probably have more of a clear outcome. And if this was not the outcome you wanted, just remember, this is America. We don't live and die based off of one candidate winning or losing, and Republicans will still control the Senate, most likely. So if you're in Georgia, make sure to go vote and get out there and vote so we control the Senate if you want that to happen. And the House Democrats sustained massive losses. So this was not a night where socialism triumphed. This was not a night where radical leftism triumphed. This was a night where moderatism, center-rightism, and really a return to maybe some level of calm happened. So don't go jumping off the cliff. It's going to be okay. The Stop Yelling, Start Thinking podcast team will be here to break down all of it with my co-host Isaiah Smith, Alexander Sizemore. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for staying with us during this election season. And go ahead and leave us a review, like this, and subscribe. And make sure you leave us some feedback so we can know what else you want to hear us talk about because now the election is kind of over and we need new topics. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you soon. See you, guys. We hope to keep you more free, more informed. Because I believe, as I hope you do, that informed people tends to be a free people.